listening to the Reformation Anglican podcast, podcast that delves into the riches of Reformation Anglicanism, the good of the church today. I'm your host, Tom Pilo. Here is Ryan Scott and uh, our special guest for today, Reverend David Walker. Uh, Dave's the, the minister at Christ Church North Finchley uh, and lectures on Anglican ministry at Oak Hill as well. Um, welcome, Dave. Great to have you on. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me and for providing black coffee. It's a uh, does the job very nicely. So we've got we've got a couple of questions just really to I guess to get to let our listeners get a bit of a, a feel for you. Um so Dave, biscuit or cake? Um yeah. Now my my daughter is has got in, in lockdown, my daughter's gone baking crazy, um, which is you know, is has been quite physically edifying for me. Uh, so um, I'm going to go with cake because that's where she excels, although biscuits are okay. Um, Battenberg cake, she did one of them the first time last week. That That's that's top of my personal roster. Brilliant. Do you have any favourite favorite sci-fi movies, sci-fi films? I, I You know, I, I did, as a kid, I did uh, I did all the Star Wars stuff and all that kind of thing. Um, so I haven't, uh, uh, you know, pro- probably just, child of my time my favorite movie of all time was ghostbusters which is not sci-fi in any sense but it's uh well i mean you know thermonuclear accelerators it's 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 i don't think it's true i don't think it ever really happened although you know i, w- I was kind of seven at the time so i can't be sure of that yeah it's kind of soft sci-fi fantasy so, yeah, yeah. The, the five figures there definitely brilliant um so you lecture in oak hill on uh I guess Anglican Anglican ministry and lots of that kind of mm-hmm. historical Anglicanism um, rising out of the Reformation. Uh, could you tell us, Dave? Um, I guess what what resources have you found within Reformational Anglicanism that's that's helped you personally? That's helped you in your in your ministry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, actually, I mean, this goes back to when I when I was at Oak Hill. Um, I, I was he- here as a student um, in the mid the mid noughties as they, they're called now, I think. Um, and and it, it really, that was one of the things that that came alive to me when I was at college, was to dig down then into what was specifically Anglican about the the inheritance of faith, really, that I, that I got. I mean, I, 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 so I, I came to Christ in, a, uh, in a, a church, which was certainly Church of England. We were very kind of Northwestern, uh, low church evangelical, and therefore kind of, the the Anglican side of that was, um, well, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't come to the forefront. Actually, as I've gone on, I found out that lots of the prayers that we prayed, you know, dug their way in, wormed their way into my mind, and and have helped me, um, uh, sort of spiritually over the years. But but actually coming to to Oak Hill and thinking a bit more about why that mattered was was a really significant thing for me here, really, and and, and discovering really that liturgy wasn't liturgy wasn't thing that you either um choose to have or or not have it's a thing that you either think about or don't think about uh, and so um to, to look into resources for corporate worship and see how helpful they are um uh, that that kind of opened my eyes to things like the book and prayer and stuff like that as a personal resource and it's been something I, I use in my own prayer life that helps me and so yeah i again then to be given the opportunity to come here and do guest lecturing three years ago uh, uh, has, has allowed me to dig down a bit more, really. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I find. 
because it's it's not it's not always easy in the Church of England as anyone listening to this knows. But it's, um, uh, there's there's such a lot of of gold to be dug out, I think, and that's that's one of the things that I'm appreciating at the moment. So we're thinking a little bit today about uh, Richard Hooker, uh, obviously a massive figure uh, for Anglicans. I think he was very normally sized, but uh, but he he wrote masses. <laughs> he seems massive in our eyes today. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, maybe the significance of Richard Hooker uh, and sort of who he was? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, for some, somebody like me, I, I, Richard Hooker was one of those people I'd sort of heard of from afar, and I the, the, all that I knew was pretty basic. I knew he'd argued with Puritans, and, and I liked Puritans, so I was a bit suspect of him. Uh, and I knew he was fairly hard to read, uh, and I don't particularly like to read things that are hard to read. So, you know, for, for a couple of reasons, I'm going, going near him. But I, I think for, for a number of people, that's the case. And um, he's also one of those people who gets name checked a lot, uh, because partly because he's, he's a heavyweight, he's good. It's good to have on your team if you bring wheel Richard Hooker out. Um, and one of the difficulties of Richard Hooker is actually his his writing is quite carefully put together, and it is quite big. He doesn't he roams quite widely. He ranges quite widely in what he's covering. Uh, it's not easy to soundbite. It's not easy to summarize. Uh, and so people easily invoke Hooker uh, without necessarily taking time to dig into him. So actually. Being being made on Richard Hooker made made me read Richard Hooker, and and that was that was a really helpful thing to me. And actually, as as I've read him, um, and I've I, I by no means read everything, but um, you know, the, the bits that I've read and I've taken time on actually have helped me to see there's a, there's a real there's quite a, a, again a richness is a word I think I've already used in this uh, in the way he he goes about thinking of all sorts of stuff, theology and church. He's obviously writing about the laws of ecclesiastical polity as his most famous work. He's writing about church government, how you organise church. But he does it in such a wide theological frame uh, that, well, that, that's, I think that's, that's a, it's a really big way of thinking about church. It, it helps me to think that actually Anglicanism is not just, it's not just uh, kind of haphazardly practical um just just make, making do with what works actually there's a, there's a real theological rootedness uh, and that's one of the things that i think is appealing about hooker is that there's a real theological rootedness about him um yeah i mean do you want to talk about, about who he was and where he fitted into history because we can talk about that bit if you want um, he was uh so he's he's, he's elizabethan he, his lifespan kind of matches queen elizabeth's reign uh, and it, it's in that time. So he he's writing in the time when Puritans are active in the Church of England. They're dissenting, voice, dissenting voices within the Church of England. They're not without of it. Uh, they're within it. Uh, and he's in that context. Uh, this, the, the famous story about him is uh, he was uh, appointed as uh, the, the, the minister, let's call him, he's given the official title of Temple Church in London, which is where the, where the lawyers all live work uh and so he spends his active ministerial career much of it uh, preaching uh, amongst lawyers uh, and and does so in direct disagreement with his brother-in-law a guy called walter travers who's a a, a puritan a disciplinarian as they were sometimes known at the time uh, he's he's 
uh, arguing with Richard Hooker. He goes into the pulpit and preaches in the evening, Travis does, against whatever Hooker's preached in the morning. And so that, that kind of gathers a bit of a storm, uh, and um, it, it was it was quite a, a sort of event in the time. That's what, what kind of got him known. And they were arguing principally over uh, matters of ecclesiology a lot, a lot of the time. Uh, some things on, on soteriology as well, but um, that that was kind of what got him his name. And, and, and it was from that experience, really, that he then went into his writings, which were therefore very occasional in the sense of they, they fit a particular occasion. Uh, he's he's not setting out to write a systematic theology. Uh, he's he's trying to address a particular controversy of his time, uh, but he does it in a systematic theological fashion, and in one that that's that's very it's rooted both in, in scriptural work. Uh, he was a he like like Luther. He was a Hebrew scholar. Uh, that was the thing that kind of that was his first um, his first love, really. I suppose in a, in a in a in a biblical scholarship sense. Um, but so he's 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 doing it rooted in, in ecclesiology, but he it rooted in sorry in exegesis and, and scripture, but but also uh, interacting with sort of the theologians have gone before all the way down from the fathers and medieval scholastics and things like that he's bringing some of the method of medieval scholasticism into what he does when he makes lots of distinctions and uh, carefully wants to think his way around the subject thoroughly uh, in the way he does it so. yeah uh, so i guess uh, lots of people talk about hooker when when people are name dropping hooker they like to mention this idea of the the three-legged stool mm. uh, the Sort of three equal supporting legs of, of scripture, reason, and and, and tradition. Um, I think that's I think that's been kind of largely debunked mm. to some extent. People still people still quote that, but yeah. we're moving away from that. I think collectively, what would be a maybe a better way, a more faithful way of reading Hooker's how Hooker sees the relationship between those? Yeah, things? between yeah. So there's the it's the the old cliche: the three legged stool. You've got scripture, you've got reason, you've got tradition. Uh, and the way I heard that given was certainly that, that that coincides to three branches of the Church of England. You've got the the, the sort of the evangelicals with their scripture. You've got the liberals with their reason. You've got the, the, the Anglo-Catholics with their tradition. Uh, and when they all leave on each other mutually, it's all happy. And and, and that gets tra- attributed to Richard Hooker, which, of course, not, nothing like what he said. And certainly doesn't describe the situation in the church in his time. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, you're right. I think the book... Nigel Atkinson wrote on, on Hooker on Reason, Scripture and Tradition, um, very helpful book that addresses that. Um, but yeah, how, how do we relate those things? Because he, he does spend quite a lot of time talking about the relationship between Scripture, Reason and Tradition. I think oh, I think Hooker's arguing that the, the role of reason and tradition is, is as Scripture gives it. But actually, if we read Scripture as Scripture, we find... Uh, that reason plays an, an awfully important part in how we live and, how, and the decisions we make. And, and that, that sort of principle of, of, of wisdom, the Bible picture of wisdom, um, is, is hugely important for Hooker. Um, when he talks about law, he uses the word law a lot. Obviously, his book's called The Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. Um, he, when he's describing law, Early on in it, where he's, he's deliberate, he deliberately kind of feminizes the pronoun. He describes law as she, uh, which is itself picking up 
kind of the Proverbs 8 or, you know, the early chapters of Proverbs picture of wisdom. He, he, you know, he, sees, he sees law and wisdom being that, that thing which describes God's action in the world. God, because he is self-consistent. God, because he's simple in a, in a doctrine of God sense. You know, he, there's, there's a lot of doctrine of God classical theism, stuff like that, lying in the background. But that idea that God is consistent in what he does, uh, and, and that's that, that sort of divine wisdom in himself that then gets echoed in the way he acts in creation uh, and in the way he creates people uh, and in the way that, therefore, communities of people work. Uh, and so reason is it's something that is an attribute of God which is expressed in his creation and, and, and is... And is you know, fallen, of course. Uh, so he writes about that too. Human, you know, human business is certainly limited and therefore is subject to scriptural revelation, uh, to both to sort of correct and to go beyond where our reason can go. Um, uh, but like reason is, is really important for how we make decisions. And so therefore on things like church polity, um, Hooker wants to say that, um, that the, the, the church polity that, that we have isn't, doesn't arrive to us fully formed from scripture uh it's actually you know the, the scripture gives us an awful lot of, of relevant and helpful stuff but it is applied into the context in which we are and, and, it, and it grows up uh, as, a, as a question not just of uh scriptural faithfulness but also of expediency to the situation and that's where kind of reason plays its role in sort of assessing the situation coming up coming up with uh, ways of organizing uh, which are subject to scripture and are about receiving scripture faithfully and rightly but is nonetheless active um tradition likewise in that we don't we don't do that on our own or as a little bubble in our generation we do it connected to those who've gone before and actually we're, we're subject to the critique of our forefathers so, uh, hook is very keen to to hold on to what we can keep He's a, he's a sort of conservative in that sense. He wants to keep hold of what we can keep um, from from previous generations wherever he can. So he, he's, he is about receiving scripture, uh, and he has scripture as primary in its authority. I, when I did it in the lecture, we did it as a little bit of a sort of triangle with scripture at the top, uh, and that's, that's the controlling of the, of the three. But um, our reason and our tradition are very important in how we both receive scripture and how we read our current situation. Uh, and they, they sort of communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. I like what you said there about he wants to review reason that like, it is what the Bible itself, you know, teaches us about reason. Mm-hmm. And um, also just the sense that reason, our ability to reason is something that comes to us from God. And so, you know, as we work out things reasonably, we can try and understand that actually this is something from God. And yeah, I just wonder if that kind of, we do naturally think like that as anymore we think more in terms of if i reason something then that is from me yeah. um it's not from god i think that's right and you know historically that's something to do with where hooker is vis-a-vis where we are in that we live the other side of the enlightenment and one of the big shifts of the enlightenment in, in the 18th century was that reason was enthroned mm. to the top of the triangle um, uh, and becomes the thing by which we judge everything else, and, and reason comes from me. So somebody like Immanuel Kant or whatever is is talking about reason uh, being an inherent sense that I have in me, which is 
pre-critical. It's, it's 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 prior. It's there. It's you know, I, it, it's it's just comes out of me, and I assess everything by that. Uh, and Hooker's not saying that at all. He's saying actually, reason is 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 built into us. Yes, absolutely. But it's the way we receive God's revelation. God's revelation prior. Um, reason is 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 a tool that we kind of. It's it's the it's the goalie's gloves that we receive the football of revelation in or something like that, to use a, a lousy metaphor that I've just made up off my hand, top of my head. But uh, there we go. Yeah, something like that. So in terms of some of the debates that he was then having with Puritans, do you want to walk us through, I suppose, what his methodology is or what his arguments would be for the Episcopacy or for other sort of ceremonies and things like that Puritans might have objected yeah. to? Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, it's, it's that... The thing which he goes with quite a lot is because uh, and it's interesting the way he starts with this really is he he does a bit of a history of of Calvin in Geneva at the start of his his laws and he he does a, a sort of, he, and he wants to say he's very pro Calvin so Hooker's kind of standing with Calvin which of course the the Puritans who he's arguing with are wanting to say we essentially their their situation is we've uh, in in the time when we were kind of running away on the Elizabethan persecution and uh, and others. Uh, well, sorry, under Mary. Sorry, under Mary, when Bloody Mary was around. A lot, of the, a lot of the people went to the continent. They come back and they say, well, we've seen how the church in Geneva or, or Strasbourg or wherever, uh, and and that's how the church ought to be, and it's how it ought to be here. And Hooker does a, a sort of review of that where he says, well, really what's happened with, with Calvin in Geneva is he's arrived at a, a method of governing the church, organising the church, which fits with his context, which is expedient to his situation. And he's then, he's tested that by scripture, and he's justified it by scripture. But it, it's it's kind of emerged out of the context in which he's in. And he wants to say, well, England, we're in a different situation. We've got a different inheritance here. Um, and therefore, it, it's, it's legitimate for our our church to be governed as it is here, conserving what we can of, of what's been here before. Um, uh, and therefore, you know, it's not that there is one form of church order. It's, it's, that, it's that thing that we sometimes call the, the normative rather than the regulative principle, uh, which is the regulative principle is, is essentially that, that you, you do what scripture has commanded uh, and only what scripture has commanded, specifically in the area of, of church government. We'll talk about that at the moment. Um, and the normative principle is essentially uh, you don't do what scripture has forbidden. Uh, there, there's, uh, and so there's a slightly different approach. There's a different expectation. On the, on the regulative side, you're expecting scripture to dictate, in a sense, to prescribe what church should be like. Whereas um, with normative principle, you're expecting scripture to provide a, a field of play uh, within which you, you can operate. And Hooker's arguing for that second one normative principle the field of play idea uh and is saying that that uh these these things are deduced through reason and through tradition uh, that those those in a sense it's through reason and tradition that we have what we have here in the form that it's in now although that's god given too because reason and tradition that's from god too that's not you know it's not only the bible that's from god uh but we we subject them to scriptural critique because the the Bible is our ultimate authority. 